Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hudspeth. And first, I'd like to apologize because I am a little bit sick. And so, if you hear some uh, weird drainage issues, my apologies. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm powering through. Uh, the second thing I want to bring to your attention is that this is episode 156. Now, if you take 156 and divide it by... 52, which is how many weeks are in a year, you will get the number three, which means that I have now been doing this here show for three stinking years. Isn't that crazy? Three years every week. Um, man, it's, yeah, so so much has changed in three years. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But anyway, so thank you guys for sticking with me for this long. I hope y'all are still enjoying it. And uh, man, that, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Um, it has been absolutely crazy around my house. Uh, so last week, I think I mentioned it, we actually flew out to California because my brother-in-law was coming back from a deployment uh, with the Marines. And uh, so he, uh, yeah, we, uh, it was my wife and I and our daughter, my other brother-in-law, his wife and their new baby, and my mother-in-law, we all flew out there. Uh, got a little house together and just had some really good quality bonding time. Uh, his flight actually ended up getting delayed, and so we did get to see him, but we didn't get near as much time with him, uh, you know, as we were hoping to. Uh, but yeah, so we flew back from California on Monday, and then just jumped right into uh, Christmas party week. Um, let's see, my wife and I, we both had one on Tuesday. She had one on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, yesterday on Friday we had uh, my you know work party, um, and then tonight uh, she is at another party. I'm home with our baby because in the middle of all that craziness, uh, our baby got RSV and so she's sick, and so I'm home with her. Just put her down. Now I'm doing my uh, my editing late on a Saturday night. Uh, my apologies, Dan, if you're Emperor Dan, if you're listening to this because I'm getting to getting it to you a little late. But it has just been uh, just hectic and crazy as you guys can imagine. Uh, I also made, I'm going to go ahead and call myself stupid because I made the stupid decision with being so busy and potentially sick and all that. Uh, I woke up before the crack of dawn this morning and actually tried to do some duck hunting, which is stupid for a lot of reasons. One, because I, you know, should have slept and healed up. Uh, it's also dumb because there are just absolutely no ducks around. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. I guess it just hasn't been cold enough to really push them down uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there hasn't been anything, but we did have that little bit of a front yesterday. It rained, it was nasty yesterday. And so I was thinking, you know, that might've pushed some down. So kind of went out there just on a hope and a prayer. And, uh, I did not shoot a duck, hear a duck, see a duck, nothing. Um, and I feel like I'm all dressed up for the ball with no date because I've been, I've been so excited to duck hunt this year. 
uh, I got it done in the deer woods. Like I got both my bucks taken care of. And so I was like, man, like I got all this season left. I don't have to worry about deer. Like I can just duck hunt. Um, I, I spent a bunch of money this year on new gear. Uh, I got new waders and, and decoys and all this stuff. Like I was so prepped for duck season and there's just stinking, like there's no ducks to hunt. And so it's very unfortunate. I don't have time to like really travel you know to other places where there are ducks and so I'm kind of just sitting here twiddling my thumbs until the ducks show up where I'm at so so yeah that's been a little frustrating um but such is life so let's see what are we talking about today today we got a great episode for you we have uh my brother from up north Mr. Nick Otto and he's been on the show at least once um I know we did a, a cooking episode with him uh, Nick is also a member of the Sportsman's Empire. He's the host of the Hunt of War podcast, and he just does fantastic things with wild game in the kitchen. And so he came down last spring and went hog hunting with me in Oklahoma, and we did a number on the hogs, and he brought down like, I think, five coolers uh, to take as much wild hog back with him as he can, because just like me and probably a lot of you, He's, you know, heard the narrative around wild hogs of they're no good. Um, you know, so many people, like, that's that's how I grew up. Everybody's like, they're, you know, they're no good. Uh, but I feel like just in the last maybe five to ten years, that narrative is starting to change. Um, and like I said, Nick is a very experienced cook. And so he wanted to basically challenge that and, and see if he could make things, you know, edible. And he did a great job. He, you know, every few weeks as he kind of broke down a different part of another pig, you know, he sent me some pictures. And every time, like, it would just make my mouth water, absolutely water. And so basically the goal of this episode is to educate people on what you can do with these creatures that most of the state has just running around rampant. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's free groceries, like, Things are getting crazy out there, uh, but we got a lot of wild hogs, and so it's a it's a really good episode, very educational. So get out your pad and, uh, and pen, get ready to take some notes, uh, because Nick does a great job of kind of laying it all out there for you. So I think that's pretty... Oh, Christmas! Uh, yeah, I'm so bad at remembering things ahead of time. I'm pretty sure this is the last episode that comes out before Christmas, and so I just want to wish you guys Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Don't forget the reason for the season. Little baby Jesus was born, came down, lived a perfect life, and died for your sins so that we can spend eternity in heaven with him. So don't forget about that. Uh, if you're traveling, be safe. Um, man, life is precious, and uh, I've, I've had a few examples of that lately. So hug all your loved ones, spend time with them. And, uh, and just really enjoy this Christmas season. So, all right, that's going to do it for me. Thank you guys. Love you guys. Enjoy this show, and we'll get into the interview right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. Today we got a good friend of the show, my brother from up north, Mr. Nick Otto. How you doing, Nick? Oh, I am doing well, John. I'm doing well. It's weird. I It's, it's like 50. It was 51 degrees here in Michigan. In this like second week of December, mm-hmm. it's real odd. Like, yeah, I there are times where green Christmas is going to be a thing here, but it's I don't know, it just feels very warm right now. I'm nervous for getting ice on the lakes. 
Uh, I'm, I, that does happen in the world for people down in Oklahoma, (laughs) the ice uh, does cover lakes. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm worried it's not going to happen the way it should this year. Yeah, man. It's funny. You say that, uh, one it was, I think it was 61 here today. We haven't had very much cold, uh, but we are, we're pretty accustomed to the whole green Christmas thing. Uh, but you, you mentioned ice fishing and I don't know, I don't know if we talked about this before, but, uh, I think it was meat eater put out a map. Cause they, they talked about ice fishing on their episode and blah, blah. And they put out a map of like States you can and can't ice fish. And they put Oklahoma on the map of yes. And so I actually copied that map and put it on my Instagram. And I was like, Hey, I, I have never been ice fishing. Like, is this a thing? And I, I got like one or two comments of people who were like, yeah, you know, our stock tank froze over and we got a auger out there and tried it. But like, I would definitely not say that we are in the epicenter of ice fishing down here. I've never done it. I've never seen anybody doing it down here. Um, but it, it is something that I'm intrigued. Like I would try it. Uh, but man, it would like, yeah, just the thought it, it's hard for me to get over. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just funny. Cause and, I mean, it's, it's given shaky uh, times here as well as like some years will be so awesome. It'll just, you'll get a deep freeze for like a month and end up with inches of ice um northern michigan shoot they get to the point where you can take snowmobiles and quads mm-hmm. out on the lake uh not not so much down here in southern michigan but man when we get a good hard freeze for a good month and you get a couple inches of ice out there just putting your deer blind right there on top of the water cutting your little hole and going to town with a jig or even setting uh tip-ups that's my that's my style of fishing i I have been wanting to get more into angling, but what I like about the ice fishing is I can bring the boys out. They can spread out a little bit. My middle boy is the guru when it comes to uh, your hole. You'll make sure that there is not a snowflake in there. He will keep those clean uh, the entire time. He will lose two dippers, but every hole, every hole will be clean. Yeah. Probably don't have to worry about him, you know, getting tangled in branches and stuff, which sounds really nice too. Absolutely. I well, there's still a lot of stuff down there in the bottom mm-hmm. as far as you get hooked up on a lot of things, but yeah, I don't know, putting a minnow on tip up and then just watching waiting for the flag. <laughs> I, I find that just just awesome. It's yeah. it you know, granted you're legally you can have three, so it's like you're running three rods at one time, but mm-hmm. I don't have to reel it in, I don't have to rebate, I just let the minnow go to work. And when I see the flag pop up, hey, we got something going here. That's probably how Western hunters see us whitetail guys sitting out there in our blinds waiting for the flag to, you know waiting for that deer to just walk by nice and close 20 yards yeah. uh that's funny but have you ever tried to see a western guy sit down he oh man do oh yeah 10 minutes. oh he yeah can't. yeah i i have uh, one of my good buddies from idaho he's come down and hunt with me like twice i think and yeah it's a whole nother ball game and it it's rough on him for sure <laughs> Uh, well cool man well uh let's get into what i got you on here for and i was kind of joking with you before we started recording because we did an episode together about a year ago somewhere in there and uh you had me on your show i believe to talk about Mm -hmm. hogs and hog hunting because you were getting ready to come down and and hunt and uh you were kind of you know talking to me as like the hog expert and uh but i feel like now the roles have actually reversed because you did come down and go hunting and you took what seven i think you took seven animals back with you um and uh, uh pieces, yeah large sections of yeah. i don't think i took the seven with me uh andrew uh yeah. from the o2 podcast he mm-hmm. i think had a whole hog with him okay um uh 
Matt, he, uh, I think he didn't bring a cooler. So yeah. that he didn't go home with any. Mm-hmm. And then, so, yeah, anyway, we took yeah. a bunch of animals. Um, I feel like the piglets count as a half. So I was always <laughs> true that I brought home like, yeah, like four total, mm-hmm. given that I do have three piglets that were that were in there. Yeah. So all that to say, you have a now officially cooked more wild hog than I have, <laughs> even though I've shot countless uh, um, amount of hogs. But so anyway, so that's why I'm excited to have you on, because uh, not we're not really going to focus on the hunting in this episode. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, now that you've had some time. And you've you've cooked several different dishes. You've cut them all up, butchered them, cooked them. And so I want to talk about just kind of, you know, what you did, what it was like processing, what you found worked and didn't work, and just kind of educate people that you can do more with these things than just drag them off in a ditch. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Um, so I guess let's just start at the beginning. And I want to talk about uh, processing these guys because you, you surprised me a little bit. You brought down a torch. And uh, so I, I'm going to let you take the reins. Let's just kind of talk about what you did to prep these things for travel. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Uh, first thing we did is when we finally got them out of the field, first I was blown away at the, the, the size of these animals, that sow that we ended up taking out. And I believe that was Matt who shot that one. Um, holy smokes. We, you know, we were just guessing like that's got to be 250 pounds. It took all four of us to grab that animal and get it up into the tailgate or into the back of the truck. Just incredible the size um, of these animals. Uh, we, I think we t- mainly took sows um, that were in a sound. Uh, we we tried at some bigger hogs and couldn't couldn't seem to get those um, at longer distances. Uh, but then I was able to take a young boar. Uh, that came into a feeder. So we ended up by the end of the trip, we had kind of a a spread, if you will, of uh, we, we did get a male. Uh, we had several large sows and then we had some piglets as well. Um, I treated them pretty much the same as far as preparation goes. Um, gutting them was going to be the first thing. Um, I learned that because a pig is, uh, it's it's not an ungulate. It's not like a deer. It's not like a uh, a moose or a goat where when it expires that you have this buildup of gases in its gut. Um, pigs are you know, they're very closely like humans where where we are going to have some expansion. We do have uh, gut bacteria. It expands nowhere near as quick. Uh, so I, I talked to uh, a guy who specialized in. Um, taken down heritage breed hogs in preparation for this hunt as well um i was talking about like getting the gut first and getting that out quick and and getting that cold and he was like i like that idea of being able to get the gut out and be able to uh dry the meat and be able to or at least the surface of the meat and get it chilled but you're not going to have that huge gas buildup that you get that you do off of a deer or off of a goat um or a you know, an elk at that point, like you've got a little time to play with. And that's where you'll see in the second stage, domestic wise, they will actually scald the pig or dehair the pig before they actually gut it. Um, given our process, what we did is we had them gutted right away. We got them hung up and we did. We wanted those to cool off um, as much as we can cool off in the, the cool of the night. 
Uh, we did be able to hang them up in a pecan tree and we had some uh, breeze pulling across them. So that was really good to be able to just wick away that heat. Um, came next morning. We went for the, I went for the second process knowing that these were going to get transported. I want to try to keep them as clean as possible, but I was looking for being able to take back as much as possible. And so that's where I was like, if I can keep the hide, if I can keep the skin, that's going to be beneficial. A, to keep things clean, or B, maybe to try something out with with uh, wild pork skin. I wanted to give chicharrones a try. I wanted to try to see if I couldn't uh, cook some down uh, and then dry it off and then end up throwing it in the deep fryer and see if I couldn't get it to puff up. Um, I have not gone that route, and I, I might have to abandon that here as we go along. But going with that process of keeping the meat clean, uh, each large quarter that I then brought back to Michigan, I was able to then take off essentially the rind or take off uh, the skin at that point and be left with pristine pork at that point. I didn't have any mud transfer. I didn't have any feces in there because the uh, membrane is there. And where if I were to try and skin that whole pig, I think I would have missed out on a lot of the fat, a lot of that glorious fat that was that was on those pigs. Mm -hmm. And so now by having it in quarters, I have a little bit more manageable of a piece that now I can take off just the hind quarter skin as opposed to trying to have to take it all down the back as well. So I can salvage as much of that back fat as possible. And I want to interject interject real quick. I don't want to get you too far off, but I remember that was one thing that we talked about pre-hunt was, you know, again, you had done a a lot of research, which was great. And you, you kept talking about how, you know, there would be no fat and there'd be so much less fat. And I remember saying that I, I thought you would be surprised by the fat. And I don't know if that's just a regional thing because we're in a pretty lush area. And, you know, I know that's probably varies from place to place, but, um, and I remember you, I think you were pleasantly surprised by the amount of fat that these hogs had. Absolutely. Um, and by being able to take that skin off in these quarters, like, yes, I can scoop that off and keep as much of that fat as possible. Um, when I had, uh, what I had expected, and this was all again on research of basically other hunters or the the <laughs> the regional knowledge of was, these things are going to be lean. These things are going to be mean and they're not going to taste the greatest. And I'm finding I'm able to basically debunk some of these. And later I did a talk or I did a, a podcast with Jesse Griffiths. Um, he's the the hog book guy. He wrote, wrote that he is a restaurant tour also in, uh, in Texas and got a chance to pick his brain on it. And he really focused on not only regionality, like you mentioned, uh, but at the same time, seasonality, you're going to find in the winter that the pigs are going to be more lean when the rains come back for spring and really like the citrus starts to pop. And this he's talking about South Texas citrus pops. Everything starts to to really regenerate again. Everything greens up uh, before the hot summer that you do have this uh, quality as far as pig go or pork go in his area is now there. The pigs are actually putting on weight. The ex- pigs are actually putting on mass. And then when you get to the hot, hot of summer down there, that's when those pigs start to lean out again, given your area, very mild in, in Oklahoma 
And as far as we were getting there, right, kind of like the green up of of spring, plus being on that working cattle farm, <laughs> they had full <laughs> access to as much grain as they needed. <laughs> and witnessing them, yeah, basically jump up on a trough and just suck down grain like these things were not hurting for any sort of calorie. So when mm-hmm. we broke into those, I yes, I was very impressed with the amount of fat that we were we were able to uh glean off these mm-hmm. pigs. Yeah, I, I should mention or I don't know if you'll be happy or sad to know that uh that boar that we man, we saw the same boar two or three times eating out of that trough. Uh that guy's to my knowledge is still alive. Uh there were several people after that guy and and he just he he would see those headlights or hear those brakes whatever it was and he was gone so to my knowledge you know maybe you'll get another crack at him this spring if you come down so oh good good I, yes we need to bring down that big boy because i t- we gave him a run for his money yeah i mean he had to haul balls <laughs> to get out of our way and i know andrew andrew's a pretty good shot mm-hmm. and he was putting some good rounds down range we could hear the thumps mm-hmm. but man just a beast of an animal just yeah. to be able to absorb it and keep on going. Yeah. That was the other fun thing too, as I was taking, taking the animals apart, I'm, I was finding rounds mm-hmm. or at least uh, fragmented rounds embedded uh, old wounds, especially on that big, uh, that big sound or that big sow, excuse me. Um, I was finding fragmented rounds embedded into the, into the fat. So I had to, Uh, depending on which side I was going to keep as far as like what I was going to make out of bacon and what I wasn't going to make into bacon. Like I had to cut around these, these little Mm -hmm. spots. And so I was just like, just as you've talked about, like they have this, they have a layer of mud on the outside of them. Then they have the hair, then they have the skin and they have the fat. And it's just this perfect like absorption. It's not like a brick wall. It's just this, you know, spongy, behemoth of meat mass and muscle and it just i mean sucks the bullet in and there it sits mm-hmm. so yeah they they looked really small i think they were like pop shots either from a uh pistol or even a 22 but yeah to be like oh look at this little treasure hanging <laughs> out right here yeah yeah uh, i feel like i threw you off a little bit with my fat comment but uh uh anything else on breaking them down you want to get into the next step um no, I pretty much as far as like when it comes to breaking them down, uh, I think the best I heard it was actually from an Englishman um, say that, well, a number one you of a pig, you can eat everything but the squeal, uh, <laughs> at least on the domestic side of it. And so, you know, going through a couple of videos and seeing like how similar it is, if you if you can take apart a deer, if you can take apart a lamb. It, it's really the same book, maybe in a slightly different accent when it comes to butchering this animal. Uh, things are all pretty much proportioned in the same, or at least you're going to make your cuts in very similar areas that you have before. With pork versus venison, like you might get some different cuts via you're going to count up a certain number of ribs to make sure you can maximize the amount of bacon. Uh, you may, uh, you know, uh, on the hind quarter, you may kind of tight roll it together or cook it as a whole, as opposed to, you know, uh, a venison that you'll take apart, depending on how you're going to use it, essentially. But, um, yeah, if you've got basic understanding as far as taking a pig apart, quartering it out, they do they do a fabulous job. Um, we uh, we I got to I got to back up to that torch a little bit, too, because 
when we got into cleaning these up, I did. I brought a propane uh, yard torch. And basically, through that process, I I torched all the hair off. I singed all the hair off. I was I was prepared to make a huge mess in your driveway. That's why I chose your driveway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was also like, I wet it down. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to get, you know, I had my hose. I had this uh, little... Um, little sprayer that actually runs off a battery that I was like, all right, this is my like pressure washer. It doesn't, it needed some more thump to it. Um, but anyway, I, by singeing off that hair, it didn't smell as bad as what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a horrendous mess. Um, but then scraping that all off and then finally going and bubbling the top layer of skin and then scraping off that top epidermis, it revealed a very, like whitened sense of what those pigs really are. Uh, they look mean. They look way different than a domestic pig. But after scraping, or excuse me, after torching and after scraping and after giving them a good, you know, a good bath, good uh, wash down, it very much looked like the exact same animal. So when they do say like, yeah, this is the same genus species that's, you know, in a pork chop on a shelf, uh, in a in a grocery store, these really are, yeah, genus species. These are the same animals, but just what the feral condition of these animals was, how tough that outer layer was. So going through that torch method, I would say, yes, I would do that again. I would keep the skin on, especially for guys who are traveling. Um, guys like yourself, if you are going to be hanging them for a while, just like a deer, I'm a hide-on guy, so I'm going to keep the skin on because that does just keep those, you know, fumes or dust, debris from sticking into whatever I'm trying to keep. And on that pig, uh, that fat, that fat was absolutely glorious. Um, so after we made those quarter cuts, I had those in a a cooler in the back of my truck. I think we went to. Oh, I forget whatever little gas station we went to. We spent like 40 bucks on ice <laughs> and I just threw bags in and I was like, this, this has got to last me. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, 15 hours. I had already called ahead and had my father set up my, uh, I, we had a, from the, from the farm, we had a eight foot uh, old chest freezer, uh, just one that was not being used. And I had him set that up with a, Oh, is it an ink bird or a bluebird? Anyway, a thermostat controller. So I actually got a thermostat control that allowed me to basically turn this chest freezer into a chest cooler. So I pulled into back home. It's like 1.30 in the morning. Um, I've been driving the whole time. I get all those quarters. I get them out of that ice. I try to get them dried off as much as possible and then into the chiller and then... Uh, went finally went back to bed and just was like or, or got into bed and was like all right that part of the uh the adventure is over but now we got to start not only taking these primals that i've broken down and quartered but let's get into that muscle let's see what those are like uh after having an overnight and well it's probably about two days in that chiller um i had it right around like 34 like 33 34 so they, they were not frozen but it was definitely the bottom edge was starting to frost up in that chest freezer um when i pulled those out the meat had had a chance to a go through that rigor mortis process it had a full day and a half of just being able to hang out 
um, go through that enzymal process, and then that fat was able to just stiffen up. So when it came to breaking down into muscles, when it came into taking that quarter and break that into sections, it it came apart like a dream. Because of that fat content, it really just stiffened everything up, and I was able to uh, quarter that out and have really nice, clean cuts, uh, making a saddle or essentially being able to have a bone-in chop. And then with the hind quarters, I left most of those together. I did do one boneless, and I did break one down into uh, into individual muscles, and they line up very similar with uh, with venison or with a, with a lamb. It's a lot of that same musculature, little bit of characteristic in in each how each one size ratio is, but at the same time, like you could be able to identify each one of those um, off each of the, those animals. And from there, I was able to package them up and then and then get them into the freezer. But it was such a great process. And as I was going through this, I'm still waiting for the catch. I'm still waiting for like, <laughs> I was told this isn't possible. I was told, like, I can't, I can't get to amazing past this on, on pigs. That you do have to basically drown them in barbecue sauce or do something fancy where you're making tacos. You got it so heavily seasoned that you can't even, it can't even muster that. Um, but they were proving again and again, that the regionality and seasonality of these pigs is going to be uh, pivotal to be able to get high quality pork off these things. Um, I want to say, I maybe got you to really be paying attention when oh, we absolutely. had, yes, you started oh, paying attention when I marinated those, uh, uh, the tenderloins. Mm -hmm. So we pulled the tenderloins out of the big sow and I got those immediately into a lime chili ginger marinade. We were going to go pretty much like the marinade was the only thing it was going to get. It was only going to get a day and a half or actually it was only got an evening, um, or a partial of a day that we were able to, to get those in a marinade. But, it was un unadulterated. It was unmessed with. I was able to serve up wild pork to you from your from your family's uh, cattle operation, and just from your reaction alone, I you could tell you're like this is this is not what I've had in the past. This is mm -hmm. something different. Mm -hmm. Like what was what was it different other than just the preparation? Like could you taste something about maybe? how we were able to chill it down. Was that better? Was it the butchering that made it better? Like, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think to be completely honest, uh, I think because I grew up hearing, like you were talking about all the negative narratives that we had just never really put any effort into it. Like, uh, you know, we might cut out a backstrap, you know, not even gutting it just might cut out a backstrap and try to grill it. Um, you know, something like that. We had smoked uh, one or two before, but again, you're talking about super slow cook and again, drenching it in barbecue sauce and you know, nothing wrong with it. Um, I do. I, I was going to bring this up if you didn't, but I do remember the the chili lime flavor, which was amazing. But I think the first thing that, and this isn't necessarily negative, the first thing that shocked me was the size, because when you go to a grocery store and you're talking about what 600 pound hogs they're probably butchering there you know it's like a, a big old log yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah this thing was like 
I mean, not not even close to as big around as my wrist. It was, it was almost like a, a big brat. It was about the size of like a really big brat. Um, yes. But but the flavor was outstanding. Like, I mean, del- like zero complaints. Just I, I want to say just as you know good as any store, but I'll, I almost want to say it's better. But like like no drop off in quality. If you if you bought one from a store and you tried that, you would not be able to pick out which one was wild. And yep. And again, going back to what you're saying, like, I just don't know if we'd ever even put that effort into it before because the narrative was so bad. And so just taking a little bit of time to do it right, you know, really clean the animal, chill it, all that stuff you were talking about, um, put some effort into the cooking, not just throwing some salt and pepper on it and throwing it on the grill. Um, I don't remember exactly. I knew, I think you seared it and maybe put it in the oven. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to use, you got this like, jalopy homemade argentinian style grill in the yard and yeah. i was i wanted some <laughs> pictures with that thing yeah. or something just a, just an not. old school charcoal like homemade grill yeah oh yeah it's so cool it's got like uh like bike chain or like mm-hmm. uh motor chain that allows it to go up and down yeah. the next hunt the next uh hunt that happens and i happen to be down there that's i'm we're we're gonna be using that it's yeah. not it's gonna be going to use okay. um but yeah what i did is yeah, i seared it and then i really wanted to make sure that i got it to a good temp um that you know just being a, a wild a wild hog i was still un unfamiliar with it and unfamiliar with the region and so like parasite is definitely one of those things i was like mm, i i i don't know what i don't know and i just wanted to make sure that was safe so i did take that into the oven we had a little uh probe thermometer there that was that i was borrowing and then that was that was giving us a good temp and i think i brought that up to like 130 135 uh but i didn't want to dry it out but i figured if i got to that like 135 137 finish we were going to be all set with that and it did i i was i was pleasantly surprised with not only the flavor of it but the the moisture of that Mm -hmm. too it did not dry it out but at the same time i had to be conscious if i if i cook like a domestic pig if i cook wild pig like i would a domestic pig i think i can definitely overdo what what I should be able to give a little bit of a uh, little bit of grace to mm. just like I would, you know, the comparison from, from beef to venison mm-hmm. guys will, you know, guys will screw up venison, but they cook it just like they would beef. Yeah. And so by giving it a little bit more of a gentle heat, or if you're going to p- apply high, hard heat, a little goes a long way. Get that, get that sear on there and call that good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with stuff that, you know, you get it to medium rare to medium, most of everything that's going to be able to hurt you is going to be wiped out at that point. So that was, that's a good range to keep anything that's wild. Uh, you know, whether it be venison, whether it be, uh, wild pork, but anyway, yeah. So then that, from that, that little victory brought me into, well, shoot, what else can I do, uh, with these pigs? And so that really got my wheels going as far as what I was going to be able to do with that. Um, couple huge victories that I even had too is well I I got a chance to take those apart and actually make finished cuts and I get to uh the young boar um you know the only reason I call him a young boar is that you know his tusks were were pretty small um he took he took a <laughs> I think he took three rounds from me out of uh out of your AR that I was borrowing and I mean they were pretty good shots uh, the one, the one shot shut off his right side. He spun around. I did put one shot into his hind leg. 
uh, due to user error on my end. Uh, but then it said uh, the third shot went into his left side and shut that side off. And so he, he expired. I mean, real quick after that third shot was, was put in there, but being able to get on top of him, get him gutted out, uh, get his junk off, being able to like, let, let testosterone relax, let, um, let the enzymes go to work and do the same thing I did with that sow is I let him hang uh, pretty much while the whole time that we were there, got him torched, got him uh, broken down into quarters, got him on some ice and shipped him up here to Michigan where then I got him in the chiller for a couple of days. Uh, the, the phrase that I then learned again from uh, this guy that did hair did, that does heritage breed. Um, he does some intact males and apparently there is, a sought after uh it's got to be a eastern european thing but anyway the term bortate is essentially that testosterone infused meat has this pungent aroma um in cooking or basically in butchering i wouldn't even say cooking yet in butchering that boar i got whiffs of that bortate and it wasn't anything that immediately turned my head, but it was something that when I sniffed it, I'm like, this is different. And it, it was, it, and this was me coming in with a culinary open mind. I wanted to like, I, if I'm going to eat this, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to look at a boar and say, is he edible? I'm going to take him for as he is. And so like smelling it, I was intrigued by that. And I think that same, I think that same narrative needs to be given to even, you know, either pigs or deer that are in different areas or different regions. Uh, if they're not necessarily raised on, on corn and soybean, they're going to have a different flavor, and that's where we get this this narrative of gamey, even in in venison. Let's now amplify that to a critter that eats anything and everything that's available. You're going to have some wacky different flavors that are either going to come out of that meat or have the potential to, at least that's what the narrative is going to say. But when I cook that meat up, I actually had those two backs or I had, I made pork chops from, uh, from the loin section of that boar because they were nice, sizable chops. Um, two for a guy, one for a gal, if <laughs> as far as portioning goes. Um, I definitely had two on my plate, but man, it didn't take a whole lot of extra preparation. The I left the fat cap on. Um, in fact, I did bone-in chops. Uh, so it was really, at that point, seasoning them. Once I got them seasoned with salt, and uh, I think I used a different little little rub that w it was going to add a little bit of a, a Western flavor to it. Um, it had some cumin. It, it was a barbecue rub that was pre-mixed for me. But anyway, uh, had some cumin in it, had a little bit of paprika. Didn't have a lot of heat to it, but it definitely had some earthy tones that then doubled down on that that pork. And we put them in the oven. We brought them up to, I think, 110, at least slowly in the oven. And then, or no, that was on uh, my buddy's tractor. Um, I was, because I was giving him a hard time. Like I was worried that the power was going to go out and that we wouldn't have to have <laughs> dinner. We'd have to get a generator just to cook. <laughs> um, but 
we had them going low and slow, just getting a little bit of smoke. We didn't want to go a ton of smoke on that. And then we got it onto the um, the sear plate and seared those off. And they're not huge pork people, but I had a chance to to eat uh, my section of, of pork. They had their sections, and both of our reactions were A, surprised, but then B, like, I'm ready for seconds. Like, this was very good. It was very mild as far as a mild meat in itself. It, it's not a ton of um, not a ton of anything off-putting. But at the same time, like you would have a uh, grass-fed beef is going to taste a little bit different than a traditional um, traditional steer. Or you're going to have uh, even like a heritage breed hog raised on, you know, a lot of grasses and nuts and berries versus grain. You're going to have that distinction. And that's really what we saw happen is it was leaning towards like that heritage style uh, meat where, yeah, it was firm. Yeah, it was flavorful, but it was also interesting. It didn't turn anybody away. And that's even with a little bit of that boar taint. So that whole long story to say that, again, if you're giving effort, you're going to be able to salvage quite a bit off of these hogs. Can I guarantee that every hog is going to be the best tasting hog ever? No, but the potential is out there that you could be taking down an animal. And then if you give that the extra care of gutting it out and treating it like you would your venison, you're going to end up with something I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with. Yeah, I feel like I <clears throat> cut you off a little bit earlier when you asked me, you know, that I got to see a taste of it. And um, but when you were saying that, the reason I jumped in so quick was because I was picturing that picture you sent me of those thick cut pork chops, and I mean, made my mouth water. Like you know, you, you they were unseasoned and everything. You just taking them out, uh, and and once again, like you could not tell me that that didn't come from a professional butcher. Like like just beautiful pink meat you know um absolutely gorgeous and you were talking about uh you know the steer and stuff earlier and uh I'll, I'll try my best maybe i can find one before you come down it's actually one of my pet peeves i hate it and the dog people are going to get on to me for it but uh you know down here hog dogs are a big thing and you know guys always just like with hunters they always want to catch the big boar uh but <clears throat> one thing that they'll do to kind of justify it is if they catch a smaller boar they will castrate it and let it loose again. And a lot of times they'll ear tag it. And so I, like I have pictures on my trail cameras of like ear tagged hogs. I and remember so I you talking I, about I, So I feel like if I can find <laughs> one of those for you and uh, you know, we can get a castrated big old board, it'd, it'd be really interesting to do all this with that and, you know, see what a difference it makes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's put their theory to the test. Like I figure like that, this is all it's gone about is like, you told me from the start, this is no good, but at the same time, you're going to take the effort of taking the balls off a hog <laughs> and then you're tagging it. Mm -hmm. First off, kudos to you to being able to put down a hog and then take it sack because <laughs> I, mine are not brassy enough to do that. Yeah. And that, that's crazy, I, man. For, for the <laughs> listeners, I would like to say I do not condone that. Please kill them because <laughs> just because they don't have testicles does not mean that they don't wreak havoc on us. So please don't uh, don't do that. It's not worth the little extra meat if you ever find it again. Uh but like I said, I'll probably catch some hell from the dog guys on that one. <laughs> 
but man, I, I want to. So we've talked about, uh, man, the tenderloins. You just mentioned those pork chops. Um, but you've done some other pretty crazy things. I definitely want to get to the bacon because uh, I know you did some mm. of that. Because uh, I think a lot of people, you know, country hick people like myself, one thing that's always kind of like almost gnawed at us was like, we got all these pigs running around. But apparently, you know, again, the narrative is like, oh, well, they're no good for bacon. They don't have enough fat or they're not big enough, all this stuff. So I definitely want to get to that. But uh, uh, yeah, again, like I'm, I'm just trying to open people's eyes to the possibilities of what they could do with these animals that we got running around all over the place. So um, I don't yep. want to keep you all night, but maybe touch on just a few of the other little things you've done with them. Perfect. I, I wanted that. I wanted that opening right there because venison shank is my favorite cut and it, it was one of those things again because i wanted to figure it out i wanted to toy with it i wanted to play with it and the shank is a venison one of the, i mean it is the hardest worked muscle and the same for any four-legged creature that the phrase is too um you know when you get when you get further away from the horn and the hoof that's when you're going to start to get your tender cuts. Hence where you have your backstrap and your tenderloins. But the closer you get to those ends, that's where things get tough. That's where flavors really come out. That's where things need to take a different direction. It can't be a hard sear. It's got to be a low braise. So using those shanks, um, I've used those in actually two uh, two different recipes. Uh, one, I made a ragu which is spaghetti sauce on steroids. Um, I'm not Italian, but I know if any Italian, if I try to make the correlation between ragus and uh, spaghetti sauce, I'm something's going to get thrown at me. I'm going to have somebody yelling at me in Italian. Like <laughs> that's just not the way that it goes because the development of a ragu is going to take that, uh, that braise you're putting in several aromatic vegetables, uh, it's not necessarily uh, tomato based at that point. It's a lot of stock and then it lets that meat continue to break down. And then even that stock is then reduced. So it's thick. You actually then bring the sauce to the pasta and you roll it around in. That's how the dish is traditionally served is it's already pre-rolled in the sauce. Um, my brother-in-law uh, who he's a big wine nut. He's a big foodie, uh, does a lot of like the big like Michelin stars mean something to him. Like he he loves to go to like high end restaurants, um, did a stint over in Spain where he did try a whole bunch of stuff. Like it's great because he is an inspiration. Like, you know, then there's all of a sudden the flip side to me and I'm you know some hick in middle of it. And I'm like, oh, I, I can do that with a, you know, with a piece of piece of deer. Or like, well, now I have wild hog. Let's try that with wild hog. So I actually loaned him out a couple shanks and he made a ragu and I got inspired by that. So then I turned around and did the same thing. Um, I used uh, actually the couple of the front shanks and a, a rear shank um, in order to get them to, to go down as far as I wanted to. I actually then deboned it and then ran it through a grinder um, that helped with my stewing process, my braise a little bit longer. I wanted to go more with a, a ground appearance as opposed to uh, like a shredded appearance. So that was the only reason why I did that. That even made an even better uh, option is that I had then some ground pork, uh, no fat added to it. 
Um, I left it pretty much just lean ground pork, uh, which, you know, I didn't know was going to turn into anything great, but by making that ragu and being able to taste that like that, that burger style really did an awesome job of that low simmer on that. I then took, uh, the other, um, the other ground and we were invited to, uh, it was a big card night. I think it was a Euchre tournament, but anyway, they were going to have a couple college games on, uh, it was a big hot dog night. So they had like a cooker of hot dogs and they asked for like a Detroit style chili. They wanted a hot dog chili and, uh, I was employed to make that. So I made, uh, I had venison ground and I had, uh, the wild boar go into that. So we had a wild chili, uh, meat chili that we were then going to have for our, uh, for our conies. And again, as I'm stewing, as I'm getting the, the base of that chili started, I could just totally in through my nose, smell that boar taint. And I was like, man, if this comes out in the chili, I don't, I don't know how many people are going to be, uh, super excited for it. But again, as it reduced, as it continued to cook, as it began to really uh, congeal up into this uh, thickened chili, it the, it flavors allowed it to open up and really be an awesome addition to that chili. It was something that really made it like surprising. Like you could really taste the porkiness in it. You could really taste Oklahoma in that <laughs> dish. And I say that with a with good terminology because it was definitely like I, people were eating them and they were putting the, the chili on and they were like, what did you use? Like they were really trying to like, they were trying to figure out the notes on what it was, but at the same time they kept eating to find out more. So people were having, you know, another hot dog just to have a guess. And they were eating one more hot dog because they really did enjoy its uniqueness. So it was like, that's a win there too. If you're going to be open to it, if you're, if you're looking if you're looking for it to taste exactly how you think it's going to taste, that's going to be its its downfall. If you're excited about something new, that's where your wild hog, in a sense, ground shanks rose to the level to make really good party fare. Awesome. Awesome. You, uh, you, you let it slip a little bit there. Euchre, whatever the heck that is. Definitely not from, definitely not from around here. (laughs) I am aware of what it is. I just don't know how to play it. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's a card game. Uh, It should be the only card game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Escanaba into Moonlight, so I'm basically, yeah, basically an expert. Awesome, man. Well, uh, let's get into this bacon because that was one of your more recent ones. I think you just sent me the picture of that maybe, maybe just like three or four weeks ago. Um, yep, yep. and, uh, it sounded like something you weren't sure it would work or not. And so maybe that's why you saved it for last, but, uh, um, yeah, just walks through the whole process. You know, like one, where did you get the cut? Um, what'd you do with it and how'd you make all that work? Sounds good. Um, I had a period right around that Thanksgiving time that I wanted to start with some curing. Um, I wanted to do a ham for Christmas. Uh, we're going to get into that. I've actually got to make a second ham. And I'll tell you why. But then (laughs) I also was like, I have the opportunity that I can make uh, some bacon. And um, going into it with the same narrative of you can't do it. You can't make it with this. But I was just looking at the side of belly that I was given off those big sows. I was like, I have to be able to to try this. And 
bacon comes off of the belly or the side of the pig, just like where you would think it is. It's the belly. It's where all the intercostal muscles are connected. And then there's that outer layer of fat, um, on these, these bellies, you take the, you, when you cut them off, it's literally, literally the side of the pig, but then you cut the ribs out and you keep those for your baby back ribs or your, uh, you know, St. Louis style or whatever you want, your full rack of ribs. I cut those out and I think I ended up, um, I think I ended up deboning that and leaving that meat together for a grind because it was quite thin. Um, from that, I would say like on a side of a wild pig, if I wanted ribs, I would have to have one side dedicated to ribs that I wouldn't then be able to make bacon. Uh, I, it wouldn't be like a domestic where I could do both you can't mm-hmm. have your cake and eat it too you either got to have ribs or you got to have bacon choose one that's what you're going to get off of that um so i ended up taking that rack out and then i basically have a sheet of meat and i squared it up and i made them into some manageable sizes and from there some of them the one side is i would say three quarters of an inch to an inch thick and then ranging down to my like fat end was like an inch and a quarter to an inch and a half. Um, so I have like a fat side and I had a skinny side um, of my my portion pieces. Using a mixture of salt, sugar, and cure, um, I was able to uh, get that in. I basically dry like took made it made it into like a dry rub, rubbed both sides, got it into the fat, got it into the meat. And then I put it inside one of my vacuum bags, sealed that, and then it was three weeks in the cure. Um, even though it was on a dry rub, it does leach out that meat, or excuse me, it leaches moisture out of the meat. And that then mixes with the cure, mixes with the salt, mixes with the sugar, and it creates a brine. So by going into a vac bag like that, I was letting it basically sit in its own self-made brine for, what did I have that for, seven it's like seven to 10 days. If you're going to be getting into curing, I would highly suggest looking up a curing calculator. There's a hundred of them out there. I think I've used probably half of them because they all pretty much do the same thing. Um, you put, you punch in how much it weighs and it'll spit back out to you how much nitrate you should use or how much uh, pink salt you should use and then how long it needs to cure for. So that told me about seven days. So it was like, sweet, I'll just do that for for seven days. Pulled that out and I'm left with, uh, it's it's stiff, but it's still flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does have a lot of moisture that, that's gone off of that. So I rinsed it off to make sure I got all the cure and the, and the extra salt and, and uh, sugar off. Then at that point, I uh, patted it dry and I rolled these. I did something different than just do a sheet of bacon where I was going to get um, a strip of bacon like it would be traditionally cut. And the reason I did that is I was afraid that it was going to it was going to shrink too much in size. I wanted to have some heft to it so that as I was smoking it, I was not going to, to lose that or if when I got to the frying pan and I rendered out the fat. I'm left with basically spaghetti. I wanted to at least have it in shape that could be warranted like 
more compressed that it would make it useful for eating for breakfast or for make actually making lardons or cut them up into chunks and then be able to use those in whatever dish fry them up because they're eventually they're going to be delicious so by rolling it up i tied it up into a, a cylinder basically a, a roulade and then that went to a smoker um i did that on a very low temperature i want to say i finished them to I want to say it was like 165 that, that I got an internal temperature on. I pulled those off because literally at that point, you're just applying the smoke. You've already got the cure that's on there. And then those went into the fridge uh, to chill completely. And I, this was the picture that I, that I did send you um, is that I finally got to the day. It was like the next day I, I brought them out and I was going to slice up some slices for breakfast. Um, I wanted the boy, it was a Saturday. The boys were like sitting around. I'm like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bust this bacon out. And when I made that cross section cut, I did one cut down the middle and I opened it up and I revealed it just the, the bright pink from the cure hitting that wild pork and just making it pop it's just an amazing looking side profile the fat firmed up amazing as well you get the aromas from the smoke that's all in there it just takes over i sliced those uh oh just shy of a quarter inch i wanted them to be a little bit substantial for when they hit the pan uh got the pan going hot through three of those rounds that were on there I did find, though, that as you cook them, they begin to unwind. So you <laughs> end up right back at square one. Did I need to really tie them up? Probably not. But I did, and I'll probably continue to do it just because I do like to watch them uncoil <laughs> a little bit <laughs> in the pan. Um, but that cured meat, it doesn't, it, it doesn't render away, and that fat sticks around as well. Like, it... it it, there's set, there's parts of it that will render quicker than others. And so you do get a really good cross section. It deepens in color instead of being a bright pink after you're done cooking it, it's almost like a deep mahogany or a purple and cutting it up. It, I mean, it cuts very similar to how bacon is like, you can keep it chewy. You can get it crispy and it does have a little more toothiness. It is a little more, more chewy but at the same time there are people out there that like their bacon has to be chewy and it doesn't they don't want want it to be you know cooked to the point where it just falls apart as dust they want that toothiness to it and this style bacon really does a bang up job with it i used hickory smoke that might be a little forward if you went with an apple or a peach uh or even a pecan wood like holy smokes that that would just be an incredible addition to uh to that so i want to say that i have successfully made <laughs> wild pork wild boar bacon off that's, these pigs that's i mean that's a win right there yeah, i was gonna say that's regionality, edible <laughs> <laughs> regionality and seasonality these pigs were just they were fat and that's what made it possible you might end up with a pig that's not fat hey there's your stewer. There's your smoker. Flip it over. When you have one of these big fatties that we got, we were making chops and we were making bacon. And I tell you, I'm really happy about that. Oh yeah. I, uh, man, every time you sent me a picture, I, I was very excited, but there was also a little part of me that's like, gosh, how much have I wasted? Like, I, <laughs> like I've had so many opportunities to do these things that you're talking about. 
Um, but again, I, you know, I keep going back to it. just the narrative, how I was raised. It's not possible. You can't do it. It doesn't taste good. It's not worth it. All this stuff. Um, and I, I yeah, I've I already saw let- a quote that <laughs> I ahead. saw a quote that actually is going to resonate with you. Uh, it was forgive your past self, improve your present self and prepare for future self. So I think this is what needs to happen. You need to forgive old John. Yeah. And new John needs to, you know, new John needs to start pulling these into this cooler. Yeah. And future John is going to definitely get the benefit off this. Absolutely. Well, I already got a litter uh, being raised for you right now. I've, I'm watching them grow on my trail cameras. <laughs> I had this group of like four or five adults. And then one day, all of a sudden, there's these little, you know, bacon bit sized you know, colorful babies with stripes and they, they, but they just lost all their spots. They're black. Now they're probably up to about 20 pounds. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's, I think there's nine of them. And so, you know, by the time you get here, they will be up to probably 40 pounds, 50 pounds, something like that. Uh, They're hitting the feeder every day. So they're going to be nice, you know, good, good fat content. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we'll just, we'll just keep pumping them full of grain to you. I'll try to keep that feeder rolling. So good. uh, Oh, that was the last thing. Last dish. I'll end in this. It was a celebration. I made it for 4th of July and I did suckling pigs. I, I did those two piglets. I did Wilbur and squeals. We named them. I know we're sick individuals. But I did those. I actually borrowed my brother-in-law's Trager, uh, mm-hmm. knowing how long of a smoke it was going to be. But I actually took a uh, a marinade and I injected it into the hams and into the the loins of these. And I, you can look up any you know any hundred of recipes for suckling pig, and it all tells you basically the same thing: uh, slow on the smoke, keep you know keep applying oil to the skin. And I tell you, I pulled those off. I cut the skin out and it was real, real crispy, but the meat was just flavorful and flaky. We shredded that up. Fourth of July, we served up uh, two wild hogs as little you know, filling for for sliders with this red Polynesian sauce. I tell you, I did. I came back with nothing. I had I, the pans were even gone. They threw those away before <laughs> I picked those up. But yeah, both those pigs were consumed. And yeah, Michiganders were going nuts for those. Awesome. Awesome. I love how every dish you have to throw in like the sauce that you made with it. Um, I'm sure those were paired <laughs> with some kind of summer beer or ale or something like that. Uh, yeah, I love it. Well, man, like I said, I don't want to keep you all night. Um, but uh, any any other last little bits um, or, you know, maybe some last minute tips that, like I said, things you learned through this process that like maybe can make it easier for people. Uh, I think we've kind of accomplished the goal of like, Hey, this is possible. And it's really not that hard. It's definitely worth the time. Uh, any other little tips or tricks that you learned along the way? Um, yeah, like getting through the gutting process, like just like you do with venison, if you want good tasting venison, you're going to have to get the effort of getting it to the chiller, getting it cleaned out as best as possible, not leaving in the anus or the, the sack attached or like the esophagus, or, you know, you, you had, you know, feces on your hands and now it's on the insides of the, um, the sidewalls. Like if you want this to look good on the plate, it's got to look good coming out of the field. And so you got to give some extra effort there. So that still applies. Uh, do you have to leave the skin on? no, but that's going to help protect that meat underneath. So maybe if you do have a chiller that you can hang them in, or you have 
uh, some sort of refrigerator that you've, you know, just decided that this is where your, your uh, quarters are going to go into. Think about leaving the skin on, you know, either, you know, torching that hair off. It didn't take super long to do that. So torch that hair off, scrape them as clean as you can, hose them down, and then let them sit inside that skin. That's going to help preserve that wonderful fat if you've got one that has on it. Um, but other than that, being definitely open that this isn't going to taste like a normal pig. This isn't going to be something that you're getting out of the grocery store. It's going to be something better. Don't immediately write it off uh, just because of what others have told you. Right. And, you know, I was talking about with people who are not used to eating venison. So many people aren't sure about it or they think it tastes funny, tastes funny because they expect it to be beef because that's what they compare it to. Venison is not beef, just like a wild hog might not be a domestic hog. So Nick, man, you crushed it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. (laughs) I do want to give you a quick little moment here to shout out your own podcast and all your stuff. So uh, if people listen to this, like, man, this guy really knows what he's talking about in the kitchen. Where should they find you? Gotcha. Yeah, I'm also part of Sportsman's Empire. Uh, It's been great to be a part of this group of guys. Uh, I wouldn't say like the more that we stay on, the more we connect, the better off uh, we're all becoming both as podcasters, but then even just, yeah, John giving me the opportunity to try some new protein. Um, So having Wild Hog into my repertoire has been amazing. So first off, John, thank you for that. Um, But yeah, you can find me at Sportsman's Empire. If you Google Huntivore. I found out that I'm like the first like 10 links. So you can click on those. Um, I don't have a website, but I do have an Instagram. And on that Instagram, I'm posting what I'm working on. Um, I'm posting uh, stuff that I've done that I'm experimenting with. I answer as much of the direct messages as possible because I know there's people out there trying to do amazing things with their uh, with their venison with their wild boar hopefully soon enough and hopefully i can keep people inspired so yeah that is at huntivore on instagram or yeah find me over at sportsman's empire with the other great guys that are there mr nick Otto, thank you so much for coming on and until next time we'll see you later there you have it folks turns out hogs are in fact edible thank you nick for coming on and walking us through all that and just kind of taking the time to you know, put some of these rumors behind us. And and yes, like he said, um, like we talked about for the last hour, uh, you can do a lot with these pigs and it can turn out fantastic. I mean, every time Nick sent me a picture, my mouth would just start watering. And so uh, head over to my Instagram. I'm going to post some of the pictures of this stuff, Uh, his pork chops, hopefully, and bacon and all that good stuff. I've always wanted to try to make my own bacon. And why not use the good old free-ranging wild hog that you got at your disposal i mean pretty much just about anywhere in the state so so yeah that's gonna do it for this week like i said thank you nick thank you guys for tuning in listening kill every hog you see i want to make sure make that clear just because you don't have room in the freezer doesn't mean you shouldn't still kill them (laughs) we i mean it's great if you can use them but if not they still need to go so just had to throw that out there thank you guys for tuning in i love you guys merry christmas again happy new year Don't forget the reason for the season, and until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast.